0: Hello to our listeners, welcome to the Women Governance Trailblazers podcast, where we listen to the journeys of trailblazing women in the corporate governance field, their passions, struggles, and commitment to improving how companies and boards function. My name is Liz Dunchy and my co-host is Courtney Camlet.
1: Hi, everyone.
0: Courtney and I are both passionate about governance, and we want to spotlight some of the amazing women who share that passion. We are connecting with guests from different paths and industries to hear their perspectives on what surprised them in their career and where they think the field of corporate governance is heading. For this episode, we're very excited to be talking with Chris Vico, who founded and runs the corporate governance advisory firm Vico Group. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. Um, So Chris founded her corporate governance advisory firm in 2006 after implementing corporate governance practices and processes as in-house counsel for large public companies. She recognized the growing emphasis on corporate governance by large investors, stockholders, and regulators, and she decided to offer her practical knowledge and expertise in the area as an independent governance consultant. Prior to forming Vico Group, Chris ran the office of the corporate secretary for McKesson Corporation and headed the corporate securities group at Airtouch Communications, which is now named Vodafone Group. Uh, So thanks again for being here, Chris. Um, I know that you are a woman about town, um, doing lots of different things. Chris is... uh, a long-standing member of the Society for Corporate Governance. She's president, uh, she's a former president of the Northern California, Hawaii, and Nevada chapter of the Society, um, a former member of the National Board, and a current member of the chapter's advisory board. She's a fellow of the Conference Boards ESG Center, a member of the International Women's Forum, and the recipient of a lifetime achievement award mm-hmm. from the CorporateCouncil.net's Women's 100 for her work in corporate governance. So we're so happy to be hearing more from you today.
1: Yeah, we're Thank excited, you. Chris. You frequently speak and write on Corporate Governance Matters, so we're really thrilled to have you here.
2: Thank you so, very much. I'm, re- I'm really looking forward to this conversation.
1: So tell us how your career path led to running VCO Group with your focus on board evaluations and assessments of board and director effectiveness.
2: So, you know, I've been doing this work for some time now and in anticipation of this conversation, it was fun to go back and think about how each step of the way has informed me in some way. And I see that I've built on all my experience to be where I am today. So just out of law school, I joined the appellate division of the California Public Utilities Commission. And shortly after I joined a new commissioner, Bill Bagley was appointed by the governor and he needed to uh, hire a legal advisor from the lawyers in the commission. And I applied because he didn't want someone who'd been with the commission for a long time, who in his view could try to influence him. So my limited experience was of interest to him. Also, he thought my last name was Italian and he's Italian. So for both of those reasons, I got the job. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) I told him Vico is English in origin but he hired me anyway. <laughs> and that was, that was also my first exposure to the board of a state commission, at least that one. And interesting that Bill, in, uh, when he was a member of the California State Legislature, was the primary author of the Bagley-Keene Open Meeting Act, which governs um, proceedings of state boards and commissions and the, and the importance of having those um, proceedings be open to the public. Uh, In any event, I worked for him for about five years and it was a great job, it was really terrific. And and the experience came in handy years later when my colleague and I did board evaluations for a state agency board and then for the CalPERS board. You know, these, um, these boards are not like corporate boards in that the members are appointed by the governor or some other entity and they have specific mandates. So after about five years, my commissioner decided to leave the commission And I knew I didn't want to go back into the staff after having been at the top of the organization. So I joined the legal division of Pacific Telesis Group, which was the holding company for Pacific Bell, Nevada Bell, you know, the wireline telephone companies. Mm -hmm. And also it's wireless subsidiary, PacTel Corporation. I joined the securities law group and this was my first real exposure to corporate governance and corporate board work. Although we, I don't recall that we spoke about corporate governance in the way we talk about it now. We worked on the board matters for the holding company and some of the subsidiaries, but primarily we were the securities lawyers and worked on the securities filings, the proxy, the 10K, the Q, the 8Ks, the 11Ks, earnings releases, annual meeting, debt offerings, prospectuses for the employee benefit plans, stock plans, shareholder services, anything to do with the stock. We were involved in the annual meetings, which were well inte- well attended. We held them in the large auditorium. In the olden days, the company <laughs> would serve lunch and hand out gifts at their annual meeting. Now that changed during my tenure.
0: Those cookies we, were always so popular with the folks who <laughs> came to the meetings.
2: <laughs> I know, we, we moved to coffee and pastries instead. <laughs> And we also had a couple of well-known gadflies regularly show up, Evelyn Y. Davis and Emil Rossi. Mm-hmm. And the fun was watching yes. our chairman manage them. The company was re- well run and we had a good board and I think at the time strong practices around governance. And at some point the board decided to spin off the wireless company, Pactel Corporation. <clears throat> and in anticipation in 1992, we did an IPO for that company which was the third largest at the time. Pactel Corporation held the fast expanding cellular and paging operations for the company. And in, in 1994, we successfully spun off Pactel Corporation and renamed the company to AirTouch Communications. I had the opportunity to lead the corporate securities group for the newly spun off company. Our chairman, Sam Ginn, was a visionary, and very early on, Uh, saw the importance of wireless communications and cell phones. He stepped down as chair of Pacific Telesis Group and became the chair of Airtouch. I don't know if he anticipated that we'd be operating uh, with phones in our hands all the time or or that they would become computers, but the idea of being able to communicate regularly with a cell phone all over the world, he absolutely saw coming. Hmm. Interestingly, a few years later, Pacific Telesis Group was acquired by AT&T. And so had I stayed there, my job would have likely gone away or I would have had to move to Texas. So I made the right choice. (laughs) (laughs) At Airtouch, it was my group's job to put in place the public company processes for this established operating company. And that included the corporate secretary function, the support of the board and its committees and the maintenance of the many subsidiaries many of which were around the world where we had acquired licenses. There was also the securities work, the disclosure, developing policies, you know, newly public company. Uh, we orientation for the new directors, the annual meeting, employee stock plans, all of the work that we did at Telesys and more because of our growing
1: international operations. Chris, you and I share that. I am the corporate secretary of a publicly spun company as well from a couple of years that we, we spent a couple of years ago. So I, I completely understand what you went through.
0: Yeah, I was just going to say, this sounds a lot like Courtney's uh, career yeah. story. You guys have a lot in common.
2: It takes a lot of work to come in and, and put all of those processes in place. Really yes. something. And so also during that time, I joined the Society for Corporate Governance, then the Society of Corporate Secretaries. And it was and has been an invaluable resource to me. And of course, I've maintained that relationship. I want to go back for a minute and just say, as an aside, General Motors in 1994 came out with a set of governance principles covering things like the selection of the CEO and the lead director and the distribution of materials in advance of meetings, the needs for executive sessions, you know, corporate governance guidelines. They were were not heard of before, fundamentally. Wow. Um, They also included assessing the board's performance annually. They were very progressive at the time. And now, of course, fundamental. And in 1997, CalPERS adopted a set of governance principles and in part calling for regular evaluations of board performance. So these are not new ideas. Um, so early on, many established public companies had adopted some form of some of guidelines, and including the need for some sort of board evaluation. In my experience, if they were done at all, they were done in-house, typically through the corporate secretary's office. Um, so after about four jam-packed years of working with this uh, newly public fast-growing AirTouch communications company, I took some time to spend. Uh, took some time off to spend with my young daughter. And shortly after that, Airtouch acquired Vodafone and took the name. And shortly after that, merged the U.S. wireless operations with those of Bell Atlantic to become Verizon Wireless. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> so after several months, I was approached by McKesson Corporation here in San Francisco. Their corporate secretary was retiring and they needed to replace her. McKesson was an old established company with a very different culture from uh, that of AirTouch and running the office of corporate secretary at McKesson seemed like it would be about half my job at AirTouch, but it was located in downtown San Francisco. And I could pop over to my daughter's school if I needed to, or take her to the doctor. It just was a reasonable decision.
1: Mm. Work-life balance.
2: Well, you as, as to much come. as you
1: can get, anyway. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. So I joined M- McKesson in March of 1999. And in January of 99, McKesson had acquired a medical software company in Alpharetta, Georgia. The plan was that their board chair would become the board chair of McKesson, and some of their officers would become officers of McKesson. In April of that year, we issued the first combined earnings release and about a week later had our first combined board meeting at some resort in Arizona. At the audit committee meeting, we learned that the financials for the medical software company were overstated. As a result of that, we knew the earnings that we had released the week before were not accurate. Oh, no. But we didn't, yeah, but we didn't know what the numbers <laughs> were. So, so <laughs> oh, we no. had to disclose that. Yeah, we stayed up all night putting together a release for that, and uh, we worked with the New York Stock Exchange. I think they halted the stock, but in any event, the stock dropped from about sixty dollars a share to thirty overnight, and then went down from there.
0: Mm.
2: I think yes. I recall something as low as twelve. Wow! In any event, that led to board meeting after board meeting, regulator after regulator, wanting information. Lawsuit after lawsuit, the McKesson CEO and the CFO had to step down. The newly installed board chair was removed as chair, but he couldn't be removed from the board, which led to the establishment of a committee that included all of the McKesson directors other than that fellow. Hmm. It took a while, but eventually he left the board. The annual meeting that year was a nightmare.
0: I can't imagine. (laughs) Yeah.
2: We held it at a nearby hotel. Hundreds of angry shareholders showed up, hundreds. Wow. One fellow, wow. Showed up, one fellow showed up in a joker suit.
0: Oh my gosh.
2: We had to use metal detectors for the shareholders to pass through um, and security was very tight, both plain clothed and uniformed officers. And we had our own security detail for our directors and we had new co-CEOs. You know, the McKesson employees who'd been planning to retire had to change their plans because the retirement plans yeah. and stock plans had lost so much value. Yeah. At some point we had to issue replacement stock grants to employees, which required a number of investor meetings to get their support to add shares to the stock plan. And of course the day-to-day work with of the office corporate secretary continued including the board's annual evaluation. The process I inherited was that we used a set of questions and that the directors would respond using numerical ratings as well as any comments. And at some point, the chair of the nominating, nominating governance committee asked me to explore what other companies were doing about their evaluations. So through my contacts at the society and the connections to the other boards that our directors sat on, I was able to do some benchmarking, get other examples. But for the most part, people used, uh, used a set of questions and it was used a rating system. You know, they'd use the same questions year over year yeah. so that they could compare the results, right? It was just, so our chair of the governance committee wanted something different. He wanted something more objective. So working with him, we established goals for the board and the committee each year. And then we aligned the agendas to um, to. to to those goals, and then at the end of the year, we'd go back and review and see if the goals had been met. And we also added a set of questions to be used as a guide for interviews with each director that the general counsel would conduct. Mm. So recall that the governance failures of Enron in 2001 and WorldCom in 2002 both contributed to the passage of Sarbanes-Oxley in 2002.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: I think that's probably the first time Congress got involved in corporate governance matters. And the New York Stock Exchange then adopted rules that included some of the Sarbanes-Oxley requirements. And because we were an, an NYSE listed company, we needed to comply with those rules. The good thing is that the requirements, a lot of those requirements were based on strong practices that many of us already had in place, based on in part those guidelines, those early guidelines from General Motors. Yeah. And some of us just had to tweak our existing guidelines and charters to meet the specific requirements. But for a lot of companies, the governance stuff was all new. And I remember being on a panel here in San Francisco uh, around in 2005 for a program for general counsel about how to be more effective with their boards. It was surprising to learn that so many of the general counsel in the room weren't allowed into the board meetings. They didn't attend board meetings. Wow. They had limited, it was unbelievable to me. That's a sea change for sure. Absolutely. And, but they also had limited knowledge of Sarbanes-Oxley and its requirements. And it became clear to me that a lot of these younger, smaller, resource-constrained companies just didn't have the ability to implement strong governance. Even if they knew what was required, so that started me thinking that there might be a role for someone like me, given the practical experience that I'd had through these, you know, actually implementing governance through my earlier experience, and to offer challenging
0: businesses. through challenging situations as <laughs> yes. well.
2: Yes, exactly. So around that time, our general counsel at McKesson was planning to retire, so I thought this might be a good time to go out on my own to see if I could do this, you know, I could always go back to in-house if I needed to. And they ended up hiring a fabulous woman to be the new general counsel and she asked me to stay. So I did, but as a consultant and for another couple of years helping her and helping to find and train my replacement. Mm. So in 2008, I started my company in earnest and besides being at the height of the financial crisis, The challenge was that people didn't understand what you mean when you talk about corporate governance. You know, what is that? So, and there weren't really others like me doing this. My offering was really broad to help boards and their companies meet their governance requirements, but in a way that was tailored to their needs, right? Not just some standard, apply this. Let's figure out what works for your board and what your needs are. So, I did a lot of writing during that time. I wrote articles on sound governance practices and processes, speaking at society events. I did podcasts with Brock Romanac yep. at the corporatecouncil.net. Yep. I developed materials for that site and for the society site, all in an effort to get the word out about what we meant by co- corporate governance and to become better known.
0: I think we still have some of your materials on the corporatecouncil.net, Chris, for, for anyone looking for that historical <laughs> perspective from back in 2008. That's
2: right. So I yeah, think you guys have a
0: question. That's, that's quite the journey. Um, and in some ways, it does all come down to what you seem to be focusing more on these days, which is the effectiveness of the board and how board evaluations can be used Um, to help foster that. So can you tell us more about what you're doing around board evaluations these days and your processes for running those? And and also whether um, given your background, whether there's a typical type of organization or board that you work with, I get the sense that you have a broad touch there.
2: So one of my first opportunities after starting my business was to do a board evaluation for a public company. Something that I wasn't expecting in this first evaluation and that has informed all of the other board evaluations that we've done is the importance of asking directors if they need, if there's anything they need to be more effective. Mm,
0: yeah. For example,
2: are they, yeah, for example, are they happy with their committee assignments? One director who had recently joined the compensation committee of a board reported that she didn't really understand one of the executive comp plans, or another felt that he needed more education about MA. Um, both of which were easily addressed. And I've heard more than once from directors, you know, nobody's ever asked me that before. So it's to us, it's an important component of the board evaluations. Over the years, I've had assignments with public, private, nonprofit organizations, pension and retirement funds, financial services organizations, but also reviewing and advising on their governance practices and processes and drafting charters and governance guidelines, as well as developing and conducting their board evaluations. We include peer reviews and skills assessments and board and director education, whatever they need from a governance standpoint. And so, you know, increasingly companies are recognizing the value of having an independent third party conduct the board's evaluation and the investors like CalPERS and others are calling for that for every few few years. And as a result, I've had more and more opportunities to do this work. I remember calling on my friend Sherry Sorokin some time ago and asked if she would be interested in working with me from time to time. Sherry had retired from the Bank of America a few years before after having been the EVP and corporate secretary for a number of years she too had been very active in the society. And luckily for me, she was interested.
0: Sherry's
2: great. I I know, I'm so lucky. While I've purposely kept my business small, the work that we do is very personal. I don't have a back office, I don't have other staff. I have a couple of virtual assistants though. But increasingly Sherry works with me on board evaluations, particularly for large or complex or well-known organizations. You know, we have similar styles and we complement each other. Our earlier experiences, both in-house governance lawyers working directly with our boards, coupled with our more recent experience working with a number of boards on their effectiveness, really, I think, sets us apart from other firms. And how we approach each assignment really depends on the needs of the organization. What's going on? What's going well? Is there anything in particular we need to be aware of? You know some boards were called in because there's something that needs to be addressed and they need a third party to do it yeah. for them and in yeah. other situations the board is doing fine they just need to do a, a check-in you know
0: yeah,
1: yeah. And, good to have and, that context yeah and better to be called in in a quiet time than when there's a crisis and you know you're trying to get up to speed fast uh so you, You said that you asked directors what they need for effectiveness. Is there a common recommendation you find that you're giving to boards today to improve their effectiveness?
2: Um, Yep. One of the things that, you know, I've never forgotten hearing a Silicon Valley director say that he wakes up every morning asking himself if he is still right for this board Perhaps he's given all that he can to his particular board. So, one of the most common recommendations that we've been making these days is for board members themselves to take responsibility for their own board service and their tenure and to be thinking about what value they're adding to the board that they're on at this particular time. You know, with so much disruption that's been going on affecting so many organizations. Boards and individual directors need to be thinking about their own contributions and whether there are other skills and competencies that the board needs now to be more effective and and whether it's time to make room for new perspectives. So that is our common, and we're not suggesting that everybody needs to leave the board. You know, the question is, look at your own contributions. Have you, some board members, they will have given everything, they've been on the board for a long time and they've given everything they have. Other board members can have been on the board for a long time and they still are energized. They still have val- valuable contributions to make. It's very individual, but we ask them to think about it.
0: Right? Yeah.
1: That's a great reality check.
0: Yeah. And if so, you're asking everybody, then it doesn't offend You know, the one absolutely. person who, who, they, by everybody gets the chance to think about it. Maybe there's somebody who, you wouldn't have asked that question of, but when they stop back and reflect, they realize maybe it's time for them to roll off.
2: And you know, I view board evaluations as the beginning of a conversation, right? You, you, you don't, you, when we give them our recommendations, you know, I, I didn't get it, I will tell you about the, our process that we use. Um, uh, but in any event, at the outcome, we view this as something that they need to, you know, step back, process, Think about, and then and then they can implement those things that make sense to them. Typically, you know, we uh, we can be very flexible. I've done board evaluations where the board only wants oral interviews, but the approach that typically works best from our perspective is for us to really get to know what's going on in the company. We interview the board leadership, you know, top management, try to understand any particular areas to focus on, and then we develop a brief set of written questions that we ask the directors to respond to usually on a secure online platform we want to know what really what's going well where 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 what you know do they need anything else what could be improved on and we don't expect lengthy responses but more than just assigning a rating we just don't use ratings i don't to me they i don't think like that and then we conduct interviews with each director and we can follow up to their written responses and also ask questions that are best addressed in conversation, right? And in those interviews, di- directors typically open up to us and can be more candid you know, with us in what I like to call, when they're speaking to like, I call us trusted strangers, right? That they would be <laughs> more comfortable than they would be even speaking to a peer on the board or someone in house. And we're always cognizant of the attorney-client privilege to the extent it would apply. And we don't keep any responses or notes after after we've presented our recommendations. Um, We like to present the results to the full board and executive session and can leave carefully crafted written recommendations noted as being subject to the attorney client privilege if requested. And we think it's very important to be very direct with the board Uh, but do so in a way that they can hear. And when we do peer reviews, we want to hear what the directors are doing well. And, you know, is there anything that they need to know about their performance and how they might improve their performance? We're looking for themes and, you know, the key is really to listen. So.
0: I like that. Um, I was just taking some notes, even though I'm, I'm sure I'll be listening to this podcast again, but um yes that's that's all wonderful advice um so what has been the most gratifying to you in your career um throughout this whole journey and has there been anything that surprised you along the way
2: so what's been the most gratifying to me is to be allowed into the boardroom and after our work it's done to get positive feedback on the impact we've made it's a, I find it to be a real privilege to work with these boards. <clears throat> and, you know, I don't know about surprise, but again, gratified to have had success in this work. And given the increasing demands for board evaluations, I've been trying to scale back a little on some of the other assignments and really try to focus on board evaluations, maybe including a skills assessment, because they're related. You know, these projects take time and they and they're personal. Um, and I want to have, the space to work with a board, if our style, and if we're a good fit for that board.
0: Yeah. Um, And you have such influence, um, I feel, even if it's indirect, when you get to be in the boardroom like that and improving the effectiveness of these boards that are making important decisions for companies that can affect lots of lives, you know, consumers and employees and everything. And so, Um, You are doing really important work, at least in my opinion, and I can see how you find that gratifying.
1: Thank you. Yes, absolutely. And, And for our women governance trailblazers, trailblazer listeners, what do you think women in the corporate governance field can add to the current conversation on the role of corporations in society?
2: You know, it's an interesting question. My experience is that as women, we often have a broad sense about what's going on around us, including what's going on in society, right? We're informed in part by our many roles, our, as partners, as workers, as mothers. And um, I, think, I think these broad perspectives really add a great deal of value and are essential to the current conversation around governance philosophies. And in my experience, Women in the boardrooms bring those broad perspectives to the board conversations. They they want to address the issues that come up. They, they you know, as women, we like to get things done. Yeah, right? absolutely.
1: absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> we, we can all agree on that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I have to thank you because this has been very informative, and I, and I didn't even know the GM was such a standard setter which that was really interesting. Yeah. Um, And so thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Women Governance Trailblazers. And for our listeners, thank you as well. And please subscribe on whatever platform you use for podcasts. And we would love it if you rate us while you're there.
0: Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Chris. Thank you very much.